Thank you so much for choosing to listen to the Refuge podcast today. At Refuge, we believe all people matter to God. Now here's an inspiring message from one of our leaders or pastors that will help you grow in your relationship with God. My name is Michaela, and I serve at Refuge in the creative department. Um, I'm kind of the assistant to Nathan, who's our creative director, and so I also work at Canaland Christian Academy of Early Learning as well, and an embarrassing moment of his would be one time we all, we were going out to eat, our whole family, and he had dropped us off, it was cold, so he dropped us off and we were waiting to be seated. And there were a couple people ahead of us that were waiting as well. And so the, the hostess came by and she took the, the people that were ahead of us, it was just a lady, and she took her to her table and he had come back in and he was waiting too. And the hostess came to take the lady in front of us and at, all of a sudden he started following them to their table. And so we're all just like watching this, like why is he following, why, what is he doing? He goes and he actually like sat down in the booth with them. <laughs> and it was just, yeah, it was really funny. And then he noticed and it was just, it was pretty funny. It, it was a shock when I looked over, I said, you're not my wife. She said, who are you? The only thing I remember, I had a lot on my mind, and when I was walking and following this woman that I thought was my wife, I was thinking, her hair looks lighter. I'm wondering if... <laughs> but that was very embarrassing. Mm-hmm. Andrew? Uh, hi, my name is uh, Andrew Haas. Um, I am a, uh, one of the young adult leaders here at Refuge. Um, I uh, am married to Brooke Haas, and I have two children, Asher and Owen. We've been here for, I believe, this is our third and a half year. Um, And I work here in Stevens Point at a local manufacturing company. Uh, As far as embarrassing moments, I know I smell bad, Tim. (laughs) As far as embarrassing moments, um, this one really wasn't all that hard for me to think of because it's burned in my memory and always will be. Uh, I was uh, in Madison with my family, and uh, we were we were staying at a hotel. And I was there with uh, my two children, my uh, my wife's uh, grand, my wife's parents, and my brother-in-law and his wife. And we uh, decided to eat breakfast. And so, about the time we got done. About the time we got done. My brother-in-law said, hey, I'm going to go to the bathroom. So he gets up to go to the bathroom, and he gets about 20 feet. And I decide, I'm going to get up and go to the bathroom. So then I follow him into the bathroom, and I see, and I pay attention to what stall he gets into. And I thought, you know, I'm going to just get in the stall next to him. So I go to the stall next to him, and I'm sitting there. And um, <laughs> can, I, can I have your... So I... Uh, I, I'm sitting there, and I thought, you know, it's going to be re- this is going to be hilarious. So then I, I, I began to take my hand and go up underneath his stall and grab his toilet paper and start pulling it over to me. And I'm just laughing, having a great time. And, and then all of a sudden, I hear this voice go, excuse me, can I help you? <laughs> it wasn't my brother-in-law. 
He said, are, are, do you need some toilet paper? I said, sure do. <laughs> I grabbed it and got out of there as fast as I could. Yeah, I'll never forget it. Okay, Tim, your turn. All right, my name is Tim Kleiner. I work here on staff at Refuge with my lovely wife. Um, I am the financial director and facilities manager. Um, my wife is the program director of Caneland Christian Academy of Early Learning. Um, we have uh, three children, Allie, Dylan, and the newest one of September 8th is Madeline Rose. So she is in the back, so we are excited about that. Um, my most embarrassing moment, um, there are a few, but I'll just say this one. We have a list. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. So it was about 10 years ago, I was traveling to Nielsville, and I decided to have the bright idea of passing a vehicle and a semi all at the same time, and with a bad transmission. So it wasn't a good situation. Um, went to pass, the truck would not move. And I see oncoming traffic coming closer. I, wouldn't, I couldn't move, cars coming closer. Eventually, I ran someone off the road. So that someone chased me down and it happened to be a Wisconsin state trooper that I had the privilege of running off the road. I would not recommend doing that. <laughs> so I was so embarrassed and felt so bad. And I, let me tell you, I've never seen a state trooper that mad in my life. <laughs> so that was a $300 ticket. And I thanked him and shook his hand when he left. <laughs> so thanking him for a $300 ticket. So would not recommend that. And I understand you about up to be off parole now, too? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, back to Michaela. Ready for some questions? Okay. So I just want to say before we get started that a lot of people, before they ask questions, they're like, I don't know. This question kind of seems stupid. But, and so a lot of people are hesitant to ask questions. But I can assure you that if you have a question, somebody probably has a similar question. So a lot of these questions, some of them are kind of general, some of them are more specific. But um, don't, because you weren't the one asking the question, don't completely like put it out of your mind because there's a lot that you can learn from this. And there's a lot that you can learn from just asking questions. And so we are going to get started. So question number one, if two people are destined to be together by God's calling and one of them doesn't follow the plan God has for their life, does God choose a new person for the person who is following his plan or just hope and pray that the other person gets back on the straight path? Well, I can start and, and with that one. In fact, if you guys want to chime in here too, I think, first of all, destiny can never be assumed in that situation when you're dealing with someone else's will. Um, and another word of advice I would submit to you is don't limit God by focusing on one per person. Make God your focus. Because otherwise we can actually begin to idolize a person and, and that's never right. That's never okay. It's interesting, Isaac, the son of Abraham, was focused on serving the purpose of his father and God brought Rebekah into his life. 
Uh, his father actually arranged for one of his servants to go and, and seek out a wife for his son. And, and I really believe that God brought Deb to me in, in our relationship. It, we became friends. We were serving in the ministry. And there was a day that we both began to realize that God had more than just a friendship, more than just a ministry relationship together, that he had marriage for us. And because I got to a point in my life where I, I said, Lord, I, I don't want to assume my judgment is the best in selecting a mate. So I need your help. I need your guidance in that regard. And then if your desire is to be married, you have to trust God in that department. You really do. And he will give you his best. And let me just say, his best is not determined uh, by anyone else's will but your own. It's your commitment to have his best that will bring his best into your life. And, and, and sometimes people get hung up. Well, maybe I missed it. There was a, a gal when I was a young believer that I saw in the choir singing. I was living in Idaho at the time. And I was just enamored by her beauty. And I'm thinking, wow, Lord, she's a beautiful young lady. And then I, for some reason, I thought, well, maybe, Lord, she's to be my wife. And I actually kind of thought that. But you know what? I, you know, somebody else started dating her and finally got engaged to her and, and they got married. And I'm thinking, Lord, I thought she's supposed to be mine. But in that, I was off or I missed it in that regard. So sometimes we can have a, a, an assumed presumption that this is a person destined for us, but it needs to be prayed to in, in, in that regard. You guys want to add a thought to that at all? Well, I guess the only thoughts I would add to that question is a couple of scripture references. One is Psalms 37, 4. It says, delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. And then another in Matthew uh, where he said, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. You know, when it comes to finding um, a mate, those are some real key scriptures. And um, the th Psalms 37, 4 was the one that the Lord gave me when, um, when I was wanting to be married. Um, and I really just knew in my heart that as long as I put the Lord first, he was going to bring my wife into my life, and he did. And that's a principle with God, and you can yes. always count on that. When you, when you step out in faith based on his word, he will always meet you there, and he will always do that. So when it comes to the very important subject of finding your life partner, um, engage God in that area in faith. And I think one thing that Pastor hit on that's really, really important is, is that, you know, sometimes you come up with things in your head, you know, and you kind of, you know, maybe you're over here, maybe you think this way. Sometimes it's not black and white, and it needs to be prayed through, thought through, get other people around you, surround yourself with people. Hey, what do you think about this? You know, you know find, find a good support system that can help you wade through all that because we're humans and we're subject to all of the things that humans go through. Amen. How many single people do we have out in the audience? Lift your hands. Okay. How many of you want to be married? <laughs> All right. Yeah, that's okay. That's a great yeah, I desire. saw two people raise their hands, so maybe. Uh -huh. So, uh, Deb is a great matchmaker, you know, so just go talk to her. Say, do you know of any eligible young men? Do you know any eligible young ladies? You know, and she can set you up. No, only kidding. <laughs> All right. Okay, next question. How do we practically build hope into our days in seasons where life seems far from the purpose we believe God has called us to? Great question. Um, so I think 
to, to answer that question, you really have to maybe define the question a little bit. I, I think it's really a matter of perspective. But if you go and you look at how the Bible defines the word hope, so this person asks, how do you build hope? Well, the biblical definition of hope is confident expectation. So then re-ask that question. How do I build confident expectation in times of sorrow or things when things aren't going so good? So hope is not a feeling. It's not something that you feel good. It's not something, oh, you know, hey, I, I'm going through a hard time, but I feel great about it. Well, that's an oxymoron. You can't be going through a hard time and feeling great. So when you look at Joseph's life, he had a confident expectation that God's word remained true to him. And that dream that he had, those dreams when he was with his uh, father um, of Egypt and the things that God called him to do, he had a confident expectation that God was going to do what he said he was going to do. So then when you apply that to your own life, there's this general misconception that, you know, all of the things you read in the scripture that when the, when the saints went through extreme trials, Jesus went through so many, went through such an extreme trial, it said that he resisted sin to the point of shedding his own blood. And so that wasn't fun. That didn't feel good. And so I think we've got this mentality in the church today that, that really is ungodly, that we're, we're always supposed to feel good, you know, and that, and that oh, the trial, is supposed, I'm supposed to have some type of feel, good feeling here in the trial. That's not true, you know, and sometimes it's really hard, and sometimes we need to put our big Christian pants on and, and just buckle down and believe what God says, and his word remains true about you. And he, he said that you are victorious and that you are more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus, and you need to believe that. That's a confident expectation in the trial. That's not a feeling in the trial. Your feelings, you need to tell them to get in line with the Word of God. That's what you need to say. <clears throat> get in line. You know, look yourself in the mirror in the morning and say, I, don't, I may not feel like an overcomer today, but I am because he said I am. And that's, that's the right. end of the story. Mm -hmm. Tim, you want to speak into that as well? Yeah. I just want to uh, target the word purpose there. And sometimes I think we get caught up on what we think God's purpose is for our lives. And if we're not fulfilling some type of task or job, then our hope is or our joy is unfulfilled. But really, our purpose, first and foremost, is to know God and for him to be the ultimate satisfaction of our life. Um, I'm reminded of a confession it's actually from the 16th century, and it goes, the chief end of man or the chief purpose, the primary purpose of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. So your purpose in life is not to do just a certain task or job. Your purpose is to enjoy God, to spend time in his presence, to be totally captivated by his glory, his majesty, and his splendor. And when you do that, it will give you hope for each and every day. There's a scripture in 1 Thessalonians 5.18, and you can bring it up on the slide. I, I really believe that this is where the will of God begins, by giving thanks. It says, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. And part of, as Tim was saying, in, in defining and finding your purpose is really that relationship and giving thanks for what God has done, for what he is doing. We don't give thanks necessarily for the bad stuff that's happening, but we give thanks that in the midst of the crisis, God is there. He'll never leave us nor forsake us, and we have a, a powerful relationship with him. Amen. And then just to remembering that 
it's your choice. Like joy is a choice. Being grateful, that is a choice. And sometimes we look at the word joy and happiness and we kind of think they're like the same thing. But choosing joy is is choosing joy in the midst of times and seasons of your life that you might think, how can God ever teach me something out of it? Or how can he do something in my life if I'm not, if I don't feel like I'm fulfilling my purpose? But choose joy in those moments and in those seasons. That doesn't mean that, that bad times are going to happen, but it does mean that you have the ability to look beyond those bad things and choose joy in every season of your life. That's good. So next question, what level of intimacy in a dating relationship is the limit? I'm going to answer this question. So for me personally, I never want to put myself in a situation that I know that temptation is going to be there. And so for me, it's just avoiding that situation altogether. And I think another huge thing is um, the person that you're dating is to really be open and to talk about things because I feel like if you don't set those boundaries then you're just asking for temptation and you're just asking for those things if you don't start right in the beginning of your relationship to set those boundaries I you're just asking to fall into temptation and also have accountability talk to people and I feel like with this question I don't want to give you like a specific you know a specific Um, answer, but just know that every relationship is different. For some relationships, holding hands might be the only thing because you know that if you go further than that, then there's going to be more room for temptation. And so I think it just really depends on your relationship and talk to the person that you're dating. Be open about things. That person will respect your convictions and hopefully you guys will be on the same page with those. That's a good answer. And, and when you understand the biblical param- parameters for sex, it's within the confines of a covenant relationship and marriage. It's never acceptable outside of marriage. And that should be a standard as believers and Christians that we embrace and, and stand true to. And don't cross those lines. There's always going to be regret if you do. But if you have, there's repentance, there's forgiveness, there's restoration. You can get back on track with God. Uh, if you've fallen in that area. I feel like I am called of God, but I am unsure of the right timing to step out to what God might have for me in ministry. How do I know the right timing to quit my job and go to work for the Lord? Okay, I believe I can answer this question from personal experience. Um, Because I had a sense of God's call all my life to be in ministry. And so I worked at a job for over 10 years, knowing that 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 wasn't what I was supposed to do with my life. Um, But I didn't know how or where or what um, that God wanted me to, when it was God's timing. And so what happened was, and kind of goes back to that, answering that question on purpose, I had thought my purpose was ministry. I thought my purpose was, was serving. But I came to a realization that my purpose was being totally satisfied in God, not satisfied in a, not satisfied particularly in uh, a ministry. So it was when I made that decision to be totally satisfied in God, no matter what I did, it was then at that point that God moved me into the position that I am now here serving at at Refuge. Um, 
So don't get hung up on the call. Get hung up on God. That's good. Okay? Make him your greatest treasure and not ministry. Ministry is just what he wants you to do in this earth, but he wants, first and foremost, your heart, mind, soul, and strength. He wants all of you. And so, and then secondly, just follow peace. Um, let peace. Let the peace of God reign in your heart at all times. When, when you make God your treasure and your satisfaction, he will then move you into the position that he's called you to. You don't have to struggle or fight for it or press for it because if you try to go out on your own in ministry before it's God's timing, then you're doing it in your own strength. And there's no grace. And when there's no grace, you're, you're going to fall. Um, there's no grace to, to keep you in that place of ministry. So wait for God's timing. Don't get in front of God. Um, someone reminded me of this one time. He, he, he told me, it's those who um, run from the starting block when the, before the gun sounds. It's those who are disqualified. So don't start running your race before the gun sounds, before it's God's timing. So, and then just follow after peace. And one other thought to add to that, don't despise your present job or occupation and thinking that, okay, ministry is, is it because you are in the ministry, even in the secular workplace, you are a minister of the gospel. So ministry is not necessarily a position, it's your life. Okay. And then just ministry, the word just means serving, service. So even if you are desire full-time ministry, ministry is not just standing behind a pulpit. Ministry is serving the kids in the back. It's serving as a host. It's serving on the welcome team. That's just a part of ministry as speaking behind a pulpit, um, preaching the the word of God. So don't belittle where God has you. Don't disesteem and look at it lightly or insignificant. Uh, because it's really dishonorable to God when we do that. He puts some of you guys in the ministry and serving kids. How awesome is that, that you get to raise up a next generation of leaders? Amen. And and if I could just say one thing about that, it would be that, you know, it it really helps to understand God's process. You know, Tim said it was 10 years that he was working a job before the Lord moved him into this ministry. Well, If you go back and look at the life of King David, what was his purpose? Well, the Lord raised him up to be the king of Israel and to lead the nation of Israel. Yet, when what was the first major conflict he ever had? Well, it was with Goliath. And what did he say when he got to that point where he was ready to conflict with Goliath? He said, the Lord took me through being killing the bear, and the Lord took me through slaying the lion. He was brought through all those times where it, it, it was the process that God took him to to be ready to take out Goliath. And then after he even did that wonderful victory, he still wasn't ready to be king. Years go by, and he's, he's, he's chased down, and, and he's got great conflict with Saul. There's a process that God takes us through to grow us up to be able to take on these true things that he's called us to do. Don't despise where you're at. In fact, the Apostle Paul says, live as you are called. You know, and it, if you were, if you were, you know, when you got saved, if you were, you know, working at Lowe's in, in, in Tim's case, Tim had to be satisfied with that. And he did. And when the, the Lord brought him through lots of experiences there, I'm sure, at Lowe's, and now he is here today, you know, and he's, if he would have taken a shortcut, 
you know, he, he, wouldn't be a re- he wouldn't have been ready for it. So don't despise where God has you or the process that he's taking you through because it doesn't work when you try to shortcut it. That's good. So next question, this is to Pastor Matt. If you were starting all over again in ministry, what would you tell your 26-year-old self? I got this one. Hang on. (laughs) (laughs) Well, uh, about a year ago, so I I looked at my calendar from the first year of 1984, and I, I looked at my schedule, and I thought, wow, I was pretty aggressive and doing a lot of stuff. And so the first thing I would say is to pace myself. If I'm talking to myself, I'd say, pace yourself, Matt. And then listen more and follow through. And, and I found as a 26-year-old, I, I wanted to take on the whole world. I, I was ready to take on the whole world, which can tend to leave you overwhelmed. And so there's times I, I had to deal with a lot of overwhelmness. And uh, many times I had good intentions, but I didn't always follow through. So I'd start a project. I'd start in the direction, but then it would fizzle. And I'd end that. And, and so I had all of these things I was doing that wasn't, you know, completed. And uh, that would probably tell you that I'm kind of that way at home sometimes. I'll start a project here. I'll get bored with it. I'll go start something else. I have all these unfinished projects around the house. And she said, just focus on one thing, get it done, then move to the next. Um, so, and then another point I think is important uh, that I tell myself, don't measure yourself by other people's success by their successes. Don't measure yourself by that because what God's called you to do is, is going to look different than, than what he's called others to do. And then also know that God will always make a way for you even though it seems like there is no way. He will always provide. He will always supply whatever you need to fulfill what he's called you to do. And so that's something I've learned and I, I, I look back and see God's faithfulness over the years. And then another thing, don't sweat the small stuff. Uh, life is too short. I, I dealt with anxiety and, and a lot of worry uh, because I sweated the small stuff. And then uh, I think another big thing is, is let your confidence uh, be in God, uh, not in yourself. And I, I serve a big God. I'm going to fail. I'm going to miss it. But my God won't. And so my confidence is in him. And I, I, the scripture uh, John 15, 5, if you can bring that up. John 15, 5, Jesus is addressing his disciples. And he said, I'm the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. And, and that realization, you can't do it without Jesus. Apart from him, you can do nothing. And then finally, <laughs> another word of advice we see in John 3.30, he must increase, but I must decrease. We need to learn that lesson from John the Baptist. Because when Jesus came on the scene, John the Baptist, he made that statement, Jesus must increase, I must decrease. Because if he's increasing, then I have to decrease so he can shine through. So. As an adult single, I desire to be married. I'm interested in someone and don't think they notice me. How do I know if I should pursue them? My, my wife's like, yeah, babe, how do you know? You know, that's what she's doing. So um, this, this question's interesting because it's kind of a loaded question. When you think about it, this person is asking, 
really what they're asking is, how do I hear God's voice? That's really what is at the heart of this question. So let's, 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 let's just answer from two perspectives. First, if you're a woman and you ask this question, um, the Bible tells us pretty clearly, it says, he, Proverbs 18, 22, he who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. So if you're a woman, it is by God's design, it is God's intention for a man to pursue you. And we know that when we go outside of the way God designed things, it always fails. So my encouragement to you is that if you're a woman and you ask this question, okay, pray about it. Seek God first. He said, again, Psalms 37.4, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Surrender it to the Lord and, and, and watch what God does with that. Now, if you're a man and you ask this question, the, it, when you understand God's design, the real question is, okay, well, if I am supposed to, like, if I'm interested in her and I want to pursue her, how do I know? Well, then you're really asking, how do I know that God is telling me to do that? That's the real question that this person's asking. And there's lots of different ways that God will let his will be made known unto you. But when I think of this question and finding God's will specifically with a mate, um, my encouragement to you is to is to, is to try it, but do it in the confines of what, the, what used to be called courtship. You see, we make this idea of, of, of pursuing someone or dating really, really overcomplicated. Just because you want to get to know someone doesn't mean that you're going to marry that person, okay? But you need, to have, you need to, like Michaela was saying, set up those boundaries, get good accountability in your life, and then get to know that person. Keep your hands off of each other and get to know each other. And you may find out that you don't even like each other. And that's good. That would be a good, successful thing at the end if you got through it, you know, very respectfully, remain pure and realize, no, I'm, not, I'm not interested in this person. Or it decided to continue towards marriage. That's good. That's a process to follow. And in the midst of that, you see, God is more interested, in, and, and, and just know that God is more interested in getting you with the right person then you are getting with the right person. He is more interested in getting you married and getting you with that person that he's called you to be with than you are. And if you trust that, and if you trust, if you seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, he's not going he, to let you fail. He's not going to let you marry the wrong person. But that takes a lot of trust. Okay, next question. I'm in my junior year, and I think the degree slash career choice I'm in isn't the one I want to do now. I've already invested so much into what I thought, but I'm just not feeling it. How do I know if I should change? This is a really, really difficult question. Um, when I, my whole life before, well, when I was a teenager, I always wanted to be on the mission field, and I wanted to be a missionary. And so when I decided to go to Bible school, I had that in mind. Like, I, I'm going to go to Bible school, and I'm going to go to school for missions. And I had my heart set on that. And then once I got there and I was in the program, I just realized this is not for me. And, I mean, I still have a heart for that, but I just realized that's, that's not what God is calling me to do. And so I ended up switching um, to the ministry program, and I found a lot of fulfillment out of that. I, this is a really, really tough question, um, but I would just ask you, 
would you rather have a season of regret or a lifetime of regret? And so I think there's, when it comes to your career choice and all of these things, like there's so, especially for young people, like there's so many unknowns. And what am I going to do? Where am I going to, you know, where am I going to work? And, and so I just think it sounds, my best advice for you is just to pray and to ask God. And I, I was recently listening to a podcast talking about success, and um, one of the, the guy said that it might not be the thing, but it could be the thing that leads to the thing. So you might, that doesn't really make a lot of sense, but it might not be the thing that you had in mind, but it could lead you somewhere. Mm-hmm. And practically speaking, so I'm really bad at making decisions, like really bad. Like I can't even decide like where I want to go out to eat. It's, that's like a really hard decision for me. And <laughs> so practically speaking, after, so after I had graduated Bible college, I had an opportunity either I could go on for another year or move back home and just go to school here. And I remember... I had those two decisions and I was so torn like what am I going to do and so I remember I took two days and one of the days I woke up in the morning and that day I pretended like I made the decision that I was going to go to Bible school another year like the whole day that was on my mind like pretended like okay I'm going to go to Bible school another year like this is how it's going to be the next day I woke up in the morning and I pretended like I was going to move back home. And I had that mindset the whole day. Like, I'm going to move back home. I'm going to, you know, be at refuge, go to school, all those things. And so after those two days, as I was praying about it, I followed what gave me the most peace. After those two days and having the mindset that, like, one day I was going to go to Bible school another year. The other day I was going to move back home. And eventually... I, I had the most peace about moving back home. But that's kind of like a practical way to make a big decision like that. And then just talk to people, um, talk to mentors or people in your life that you know will give you some good advice. That's good. And one thing I might add to that, because this question is stated, I'm just not feeling it. Uh, feelings can sometimes be deceptive. Uh, is it a feeling based on your preference Or is it based on the calling of God in your life? Because your career, your degree should complement what God has called you to do in life. Next question. How can God send an innocent person to hell? So, for instance, someone living in a remote area where they've never heard of Jesus and they've never had the opportunity to become a Christian. Okay, so with that question, and that's a common question, Um, particularly from people who want to deny Christ or deny the existence of God. How can a loving God send someone who's never heard an innocent person to hell? The problem with that question is that it's, it's flawed because there's no one who's innocent. The Bible says in Romans um, 6.23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. In the fifth chapter of Romans, it says that in Adam, the whole human race is in Adam, and Adam's sin, death, and sin passed over the whole entire human race. So as human beings, everyone stands as a sinner before a just and holy God. 
Um, however, that's why we are told to go, that we have, a, we have a mission to do. We're told to go into all the earth and preach the gospel to every tongue, tribe, language, and nation. And in fact, you read in the book of Revelation, before the throne, um, in the future, every tongue, every tribe, every language, every nation will be represented there. So everyone is going, every tribe, every language is going to have an opportunity to receive Christ. So, um, and then, you know, even for those who've never heard, even creation itself testifies of God. In, in Psalms 19, talks about the, the heavens and the stars declare the glory of God. In Romans 1, it talks about that all of creation testify to the divine attributes and the power and the nature of God. And men are without excuse. So, but we have a mission. We, we, we've got to go. That's good. Tim. All right, this is going to be the last question. I am married, and I feel stuck in the relationship. Every day is your teen, and there isn't any spark left. He doesn't care, comes to church whenever, doesn't want to get involved, and doesn't have motivation for anything, and thinks I'm overreacting and things are fine. I'm about done. Am I required by God to stay in the relationship when my husband doesn't care? Wow. How much time do we have on this one? <laughs> well, well, let me address it. The, the question is, am I required by God to stay in the relationship? Uh, yes, because divorce is not the answer. And so what you need to do is commit towards restoration. And, and for that to happen, you've got to walk through forgiveness. Uh, you've got to learn what true biblical forgiveness is and invest time in prayer and seek biblical, godly counsel. Uh, you need help in that relationship. And uh, you can call the church and we can, you know, uh, pair you up with a couple. Or, uh, Pastor Deb and I will be happy to meet with you to maybe give you some good counsel on that. But a good marriage, we need to understand, is not exempt from marital conflict by any means. Uh, what, what we need is a commitment to walk through the conflict when it comes. Some people say, well, I have a good marriage because we never fight. Well, just because you never fight, that doesn't constitute a good marriage. A good marriage is when both partners are committed to walk through that conflict and, and find resolve. And, and let me just say this, because in a relationship, I believe that selfishness is the root of every conflict. If, if there's a marriage problem, it's because somebody's being selfish. Somebody's demanding their own way, and they're not really truly considering the interest of the other. And so uh, you need to ask yourself, where am I being selfish? Sometimes we can point the finger at what they're doing wrong, and we don't look at what we're doing wrong. And there's a scripture, and I'll, I'll share this, 1 Corinthians 7.10. It says, to the married, I give this charge, not I, but the Lord. The wife should not separate from her husband, but if she does, she should remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. And the husband should not divorce his wife. And so there's a whole lot more in that chapter that talks about the dynamic of the marriage and the instruction we see uh, by the Apostle Paul to the church. Uh, but that is word right there. We, are, we, we shouldn't separate. The only time 
that there should be a separation. It should be with the intent to try to restore and walk through issues, especially if there's abuse or other things going on. Yes, then there should be, we call it a godly separation, to come apart so you can work through things, so you can come back together. And then something that Deb and I have shared with a number of couples over the years, you take 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 through 8. Here we see the biblical definition of love. It reads, love is patient, love is kind, love does not envy or boast, it is not arrogant or rude, it does not insist on its own way, it's not irritable or resentful, it does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, love never fails. Now, what you do with this passage is you take the word love and you insert your name there. So with me, it's Matt is patient, Matt is kind. Matt believes the best in Deb. And then, then you say that concerning your spouse. You say, Deb is patient, Deb is kind. So you're speaking life, you're speaking truth over the relationship when you take that passage and apply it to your marriage. We have literally seen marriages transformed when they've done that because you're taking biblical truth and applying it to your personal situation. And so there's, there's a lot more that we could say on that uh, question, but we're coming out, running out of time. Uh, I know there's other questions that were submitted that, that we received here. We can't get to them all, uh, but maybe there's some way we can publish them somewhere and, uh, so that they too can be answered. Um, so any closing comments from uh, any of you before we... The biggest thing for me is um, just be live your life captivated by God. Make Him your complete satisfaction and desire of your heart. Um, and then just, you know, Jesus said, if any man come to me and thirst, let him drink of the water freely that, that I give him, and that he's called the bread of life. You know, and bread and water, they give refreshment, but they also satisfy. It's only giving your life to Jesus that you will find true satisfaction in, in your life. If, if I could say one thing to kind of summarize the questions, it would be that don't, don't think that you, could, you can screw your life up. When you, I mean, obviously, yeah, there are things that we can do that make it a lot harder on ourselves, but... I was encouraged just because people were asking these questions. You know, when you ask a question, how do I know that how do I know that this is God's will for my life? Or how do I know if I've gone too far? Well, the mere fact that you're thinking about it should encourage you. And just know that when you put your faith in God and His Word, He always, it's not maybe, He always comes through. That's right. He will always stay true to His Word. And His Word tells us when we are unfaithful, he remains faithful because he cannot deny who he is. So he will always meet you when you step out in faith on the basis of his word. He will always meet you there. I have nothing to add, but thank you guys all for asking these questions. I think question asking questions is 
really a sign of intelligence. It shows that, like Andrew said, that you're thinking about these things. And it's, it's really encouraging for all of us to see that and to see that you guys aren't just going to take our word for it. And, and that's another thing is don't just take what you've heard as truth. Because, yes, I mean, there's, there's some awesome leaders up here, but you can't take everything that they say for truth. You have to discover the truth on your own. Look to the Bible. Look to the Word of God because that's where your answers will be found. So if you have any more questions, maybe you heard a question up here and it maybe sparked another question, uh, you can still ask those questions online and we will follow up with you. We'll send you an email so because we want to make sure that your questions are answered. Thank you so much for listening to The Refuge Podcast. To find out more information about who we are and to listen to more inspirational messages, you can visit us online at wearerefuge.net.